as far as the eye can see, there is like a red line of that oil going right across the Gulf of Mexico. It is endless. The turtle's coming up for air, and when it does, it's gulping the surface and it's picking up that oil that's floating on the surface. So it's taking it into so its, its body. So it's taking it into its body, and of course, if you're, if you're drinking oil, it's not, not good for the digestive system, so he's, he's in distress. This oil spill couldn't have come at a worse time. With spring breeding season barely underway, the impact it could have on the animal population is being called unimaginable. Well, with the British Petroleum oil spill, the size of San Diego County looming off the coastline, the results could be devastating. If you put one drop of oil on a bird, that area now wicks in salt water, and the entire bird can get wet, lose their waterproofing, have a problem uh, diving underwater to forage for fish and food, and, uh, and starve to death. The wetland is where the food chain starts, and the oil will contaminate that, killing the microorganisms and algae, then the isopods and crabs, which the bird and other animals feed on. The oil essentially shuts down the whole ecosystem or food web at the very base or fundamental level. So, so this is a big problem. Cleanup is, is, is going to be difficult and uh, not necessarily uh, something that we can recover from quickly. What I want people to know is this isn't Katrina. This is not Armageddon. Farther you get from the spill, that chocolate milk looking spill starts breaking up into smaller pieces and it it looks if someone has ever had diesel fuel in their bilge and pumped it overboard it gets looking more and more like diesel fuel the farther away you get from it oil hits the beach hello there's oil on the beach secondly there won't be any people on the beach yes that's a positive third thing i might be able to keep my lights on at night because there won't be any turtles on the beach the turtles will be smart enough not to show up and at some point, the beach will fix itself. Tammy Mines was surfing a stylist blog the other day and stumbled upon a matter of trust. It's an organization that collects hair and fur and then turns it into all-natural oil-collecting booms. Some are made from recycled pantyhose, and some of the hair is turned into mats that sit on top of the water. They've collected hundreds of thousands of pounds of hair from all over the country. It works for the same reason you wash your hair every day, because hair collects oil. Mr. Brown, thanks for being with us. You've made some pretty stunning statements about this oil spill and the response by the president. Do, do you honestly believe the president of the United States wants this oil spill to spread, cause billions of dollars in damage, ruin people's livelihoods? This oil slick approaching, you know, the, the Louisiana shore, according to certain uh, in NOAA and other places, if the winds are right, it'll go up the East Coast. This is exactly what they want, because now he can pander to the environmentalists and say, I'm going to shut it down because it's too dangerous. While Mexico and China and everybody else drills in the Gulf, we're going to get shut down. May 12th, 2010, you've got Oz in your ears. Radio Free Oz, that is. I'm your host, Peter Bergman. My co-host, David Osmond. Yo, dude. Yo, dude. That's what my son says all the time. Yo, dude. He does? He only says that to, like, one guy. They're dudes to one another. Look, dude, man. Dude, not no man. No no hip man is in there. Just dude. Well, my daughter's uh, stepbrother calls her bro. Bro. She's bro. Yeah, yeah well, that makes sense. That's bro. They, 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 he does bro with Orson Entis. But dude, yeah, it's like, dude, they were rode in my car this morning. Of course, they were asleep this morning. Sweet, dude. You know, it, it's interesting that, that meta language, slang is a meta language, mm-hmm. right? No, used to be uh, generated first almost entirely by jazz people. I mean, most of the, the meta language you got hip and cool Groovy. Groovy, muggle, all those things, reefer, those were all from the the jazz people, right? And then it was taken over almost entirely by surfers. Surfers generated the greatest amount of metal. There was a lot of that going down. Oh, yeah, completely, yeah. Ra- you know, just. Well, dude ra- is still a leftover of surfer language. Dude is from, and it's one of the things that it, that is held on, but it has been eclipsed by um, hip hop. Because hip hop really is really generating most of the metal language, so something good being dope and bad and mm-hmm. sweet. I don't know where sweet comes from. That that's not exactly surfer. It's it's somewhere somewhere in between. Sweet, sweet, dude, yeah, sweet, sweet, dude. Just that that's it. Kind of narrows it right down. Well, you, you know, Peter, this has been. I feel like I, I'm in the middle of of two different, uh, you know, '60s television 
series right go, going on this. We have Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Yes, continual and, Voyage to the Bottom and, of the Sea and bouncing back up. Right, and Sea Hunt. You remember that? <laughs> with, one? with Lloyd Bridges? With Lloyd Bridges. Yeah. You know, it's like Sea Hunt. Yeah, uh, at 5,000 feet, Lloyd Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> tries to cap the oil. Uh, tries to set off, you know, tries to shut the valve that isn't there because they wouldn't spend $500,000 on the multi-billion dollar oil well that they have. I love the way they're looking for somebody to blame. Today it was Halliburton, I think, mostly. Well, Halliburton's always easy to blame yeah, you know, because yeah. they got this bad smell. I mean, they've been around for, for a while, so you bring them on stage. But as I mentioned, you know, they, they, they wouldn't take the blame. Transocean won't take the blame. Nobody will take the blame. Oh, just not, not to leave metal language altogether, oh, yeah. which is I think that there's only a couple of metal, lang- metal language terms that are really going to last. One that has, which is hip. Hip is still with us, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so is cool. Hip and man. Cool. Those three have persisted. That's hip. That's cool. Yeah, man. You can say that and you're still okay. It's safe. Those are safe words to say. Yeah, yeah. especially for gentlemen of our generation. Absolutely. Uh, we we can get away with that. We can talk with our kids. Although when I do say something like man or hip or cool, my daughter gives me that slightly eyebrows up kind of sour <laughs> look like come on dad you know just 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 act your age so i was at the uh, uh the ultimate frisbee game ultimate ring ball yeah. and uh the, there's so the snack stand which sold garlic fries and some terrible middle middle eastern something rolled up and deep fried uh but it was the name of the van was was up was up was up yeah so that your cholesterol that's was up (laughs) bp has aborted its latest attempt to lower the 100 ton dome over the deep water horizon well five thousand feet below the surface after a slushy mix of oil and water clogged the dome siphon this according to bp operating officer for exploration doug subtles that's according to him I guess we have to believe what BP tells us and what Halliburton tells us and what Transocean tells us and what the devil tells us. BP uh, had hoped the four-story dome would corral the oil and allow it to be siphoned into tankers. Dream on! Workers have moved the dome aside until engineers can figure out how to keep the siphon clear of the slushy material, Subtle said. I wouldn't say it has failed yet, he said. Oh, that's good. They're just, it hasn't failed yet. It's going to fail. We're all sitting around waiting for it to fail. All right. Since using a massive dome to cover the source of the uh, oil gushing into the Gulf of Mexico doesn't work, crews are preparing for another option, clogging it. Engineers are examining whether they can close the failed blowout preventer by stuffing it with trash. This according to Admiral Thad Allen, the commandant of the Coast Guard. The 40-foot 48-foot-tall, 450-ton device sits atop the well at the heart of the Gulf oil spill and is designed to stop leaks, but it has not been working properly since the oil rig Deepwater Horizon exploded April 20th and later sank. Killing people on the way, by the way. And everybody's up in Congress. Halliburton says, it ain't me. Points at BPPs, not me. Points at Transocean Transit, not me. Points at the other two. It's like a kid's game, and everybody loses, including us. The next tactic is going to be something they call a junk shot. Alan said. They'll take a bunch of debris, shredded up tires, golf balls, and things like that, and under very high pressure, shoot it into the preventer itself and see if they can clog it up and stop the leak. This is absurd. Tires, golf balls, and things like that. I mean, I got plenty of trash to give him. I got some great stuff. An estimated 210,000 gallons, that's 5,000 barrels of crude, is pouring from the well every day. Hundreds of thousands of feet of boom and large volumes of dispersants continue to be deployed in an effort to capture or break up the spilled oil moving towards the Gulf coastline as we speak. And thousands of workers and volunteers have worked to skim the water surface, including the boombecues. Remember people gathering up all that hair, both animal and human hair, into patio, into patios and turning them into booms and boombecues? 
Uh, definite reality makes fiction look really weak. And BP has another plan, okay? If, if throwing garbage at it doesn't work, now this may not be environmentally friendly, but it could fail anyway. A remote-controlled submarine has been shooting a chemical dispersant into the maw of the massive undersea oil leak since the beginning of last week. Further evidence that authorities expect the gusher to keep erupting into the Gulf of Mexico for weeks or more. This is a major disaster. And people are beginning to call it Obama's Katrina because he could have responded a lot faster and, the, and the, uh, the Navy could have taken over a lot quicker. I'm not trying to second guess Obama, but perfect, he ain't. Crews using the deep sea robot attempted to thin the oil after getting approval from the Environmental Protection Agency. It's very easy to get approval from the EPA when you're in the midst of an oil crisis. The agency had halted two previous rounds of the dispersant to test its potential impact on the environment and subsequently approved the third round of spraying. Wait a minute, in, in just what, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, they could figure out what the environmental impact was of the dispersant? Excuse me, I think this is Nike thinking. Just do it. At least 3.5 million gallons were believed to have leaked since the April 20th drilling rig blast that killed 11. If the gusher continues unabated, it would surpass the Exxon Valdez disaster as the nation's worst spill by Father's Day. By the way, BP was also, I believe, responsible for part of the cleanup of that spill. BP does the most drilling in Alaska. Oh, man. Stop, baby, stop. Among other plans under construction for the gusher, BP is looking at cutting the riser pipe, which extends from the well, undersea and using larger piping to bring the gushing oil to a drill ship on the surface, a tactic considered difficult and less desirable because it will increase the flow of oil. Oh, they don't have a clue! Wow, Pete. Well, um... <laughs> Since we're here at the bottom of the sea, maybe we could uh, visit the uh, the cave of total hypocrisy. I know you must have something in there today. You know who lives there? Dr. George Wreckers. He's the uh -huh. foremost Christian anti-gay leader. He was just caught with a hooker from rentboy.com, the latest example of hypocrisy on the religious right. That's right, rentboy.com. Rentboy, wait a minute. Right, yeah, okay, now in... in, in in, now, in 1960, 1996, three researchers published a study in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology mm -hmm. about the links between homophobia and homosexual arousal. I've always suggested, look at this, 35 straight men identified as homophobic, records would be one of them, or, and 29 straight men that were not were shown heterosexual, lesbian, and gay male porn while their erectile responses were measured. <laughs> Oh, only the homophobic men showed an increase in penile erection to male homosexual stimuli, reported the researchers. There it is. Oh, really? Well, yeah. And, 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 Slap that thing down. Yeah, oh, get, no. I, oh, that's the devil's monkey. My goodness. Uh, see, the there goes another naval officer. It was, it was empirical evidence, said the study, uh, uh -huh. for a theory long uh, popular among psychoanalysts that those most hostile to gay people are often driven by terror and shame about their own desires. So it's not surprising that Dr. Wreckers, a major figure in anti-gay Christian right circles, has been caught traveling with a male prostitute who advertises on rentboy.com. It's becoming the latest in a long line of disgraced culture warriors. Now, the Wreckers bought the, brought the, he bought the escort who advertised his, quote, smooth, sweet, tight ass and perfectly built eight-inch cock on an all-expense-paid trip to Europe. He took him to Europe, right? <laughs> All right. Wreckers later claimed in a Facebook message that he had hired the young man so as to save his immortal soul. Quote, like John the Baptist and Jesus. I know, I, I, I'm having trouble. <laughs> no, 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 wait like a minute. Like John the Baptist like John and the Jesus. Baptist. I have a loving Christian ministry to homosexuals and prostitutes in which I share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Meanwhile, on his own website, Wreckers offered a somewhat contradictory explanation, saying that he, quote, requires an assistant to lift his luggage in his travels because of an ongoing condition following surgery. Never mind the fact that when they were photographed at the airport together, it was Wreckers who was carrying the luggage. <laughs> he's carrying a lot more luggage <laughs> oh, now. Oh, he certainly is. Well, you know, the thing that bothers me most about that, because, you know, okay, Dr. Freud was right and all of that. And, and yeah, sure. And that's why they keep falling into with a pit of despair. 
despair of their own making. It's rentboy.com that worries me. Yeah. I mean, where's that guy? Well, I mean, his name is Lucian. That's the, Lucian, the fellow, yeah, Lucian uh, yeah, yeah. who said that the deal he made, he wrote a contract with Rutgers. He has a copy of the contract. Mm-hmm. And basically, for $75 a day, he was to travel with him in Europe and give him an hour's sexual massage and have two meals with him. Two meals, they, seventy-five uh, a day. Well, that's you know, not much. But he got a, he got this big European, and he, and he got yeah. his, got the chance to have his immortal soul saved. You know, hey, that's worth seventy-five dollars a day. Absolutely. So, so here's the problem. Dave. Okay, here's the problem, which is, and I feel for guys like Rutgers. Although I, I really am sorry for all of the the harm that he does. I mean, look, this is a guy uh, who who goes all over being paid top money to to give you know to support anti-gay measures. Okay. Uh, he was one of the two expert witnesses the state of Florida called in uh, in its bid to defend its ban on gay adoption. Gay people, he testified, would have less capability of providing the kind of nurturing and secure emotional involvement for children, as the Miami Herald reported. And he was wait a minute. He was an expert. He was an ex. They called him in as an expert opinion, and that was his expert that opinion. Was, well, it gets worse. Oh, All right. Okay. This is my my favorite part in a way because it's it's so sad. He also said, "Let me see. Let me just. I just want to. I want to read this properly here. Uh, he also suggested that Native Americans be banned from adopting because they're prone to mental." illness and substance abuse quote records they would tend to hang around each other he said so the children would be around a lot of other native americans who are doing the same sorts of things this is an expert speaking i mean be hanging around people who are doing the same <laughs> sorts of things which <laughs> i think that's his problem right going in yeah, well, yeah but here is the big here's the thing okay. is that this is a man who believes that his homosexuality his homosexual urges are wicked. He does actually believe that it is the devil within him. He is mm-hmm. torn up. That's why he spends mm-hmm. so much time shouting about the evil. He can't come out of the closet. He is now. Rent Boy brought him right out there. And of course, everything that he's connected with, he was one of the original family research councils on the original board of the family research council. They are now not only distancing themselves from him, they're, they're going <laughs> back to find out in their old records whether he was really ever on the board. I mean, oh. they are, they're, they're, the bus is coming and they're just laying him <clears throat> right on the road. Here comes the old Christian denial. Down there in the gym, they're washing all those towels twice. Yes, last week was a bad day in the financial markets. I think we can all agree with that, but it was made worse by an apparent trading glitch, leaving traders and investors nervous and scratching their heads over how a mistake could send the Dow Jones Industrial Average into a 1,000-point tailspin. At its afternoon low, the Dow Jones had plummeted 998 points, its biggest intraday point drop ever. The swing from its intraday high was 1,010 points. Yeah, I would be scratching my head over that. I would be scratching my head bloody until I figured out what went on. A glitch brought the market to a standstill. Is there something about that I just don't like? The markets were already on edge. Um, before, as traders watched televised scenes of the deadly rioting in Athens, I- I'm reading from the business page of The Gray Lady. The euro had tumbled to a new 14th month low, and credit markets were showing signs of strain in Europe and the U.S. Showing signs of strain? They're talking about sovereign contagion. They're talking about bonds being turned to junk. There's little more than a strain. Still is more than a strain. Investigators say they are focusing increasingly on how a controlled slowdown in trading on the New York Stock Exchange, meant to bring about stability, instead set off uncontrolled selling on electronic exchanges. Ah, the electronic exchanges. We'll hear more about those in a minute. It was an unintended consequence of a system built to place a circuit breaker on stocks in sharp decline. In theory, trades slow down so that sellers can find buyers in the old-fashioned way, by hand, one by one. Yeah, the old-fashioned way, when you had to call somebody on a phone and then some guy in a blue smock went out and screamed his lungs out and sh- shook his hand in some sort of you know, mystic, uh, mystic handshake in the air to, to buy and sell. But at least it wasn't electronic. The electronic exchanges did not slow down in tandem, causing problems, according to two officials familiar with the investigation. That could mean that the computers first flooded the market with sell orders that could not be matched with buyers. Then, just as quickly, many of these networks withdrew from trading. The combined effect might have set off a chain reaction that sent shares of many companies spiraling down in the 15-minute frenzy. 
It's an electronic glitch. It's an electronic frenzy over which we and all the experts uh, in all the exchanges around the world have no control whatsoever. After a weekend of analysis, many specialists at the major exchanges no longer believe that a single large sell trade in one stock was the trigger. Instead, they suspect that a mismatch in rules between the older New York Stock Exchange and younger electronic exchanges set off a frightening sequence of events. It is not known exactly what caused the initial sell-off in the blue chips, but investigators say the earliest sign of trouble they have found was a sudden drop in the value of a futures contract on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange based on the Standard & Poor's uh, 500 stock index. That pushed down a broad array of stocks in that index. All of them traded on the New York Stock Exchange and other major exchanges and sent many shocks on the New York Exchange into the slow mode. You know, this has nothing to do with real business, with real money, with the increase or decrease in a stock uh, affecting the ability of a company to buy more machines, to increase its productivity, to hire, to hire you know, more people. This is all speculating. This is all taking money from one hand and putting it in another. It is totally non-productive. Ever since computerized trading became dominant in the nation's stock markets in recent years, markets experts have been warning that the lack of consistent rules among exchanges and the increasing complexity and speed of computer trading systems could destabilize markets. Hmm. This appears to have happened last week when stock prices plunged and the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell nearly 600 points in a few minutes. Well, you know, enough said, you know. Let's just... Let's just have ourselves a little financial ad to get things straight. And I'll be back with what Bob Reich has to say about all this. Wrestling with stress puppies in the data swamp. Speed skating with wolves on the glass ceiling. Beating off the rat race with a mouse. Face it, you're too busy to lose the kind of money you're making. It's time to put our strong hand in your pocket. Turn it over. Give it up. Submit to boom.bust. Fly in on a boom. Drive home on a bus. Boom.bust, a platform agnostic, browser blind, big bubble, bit broker. From US Whatgate Plus. Well, here's a nice take on the flash crash by former Secretary of Labor Robert Reich. 90 minutes before the end of trading, Thursday, that's last week, the U.S. stock market almost melted down. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped nearly 1,000 points. The market regained ground before the end, like a giant 747 narrowly averting a crash landing. Regardless of why it happened, it's further evidence that the nation's and the world's capital markets have become a vast, out-of-control casino in which fortunes can be made or lost in an instant, which would be fine except for the fact that most of us have put our life savings there. Pension funds, mutual funds, school endowments, the value of all of this depends on a mechanism that can lose a trillion dollars in minutes without anyone having a clear idea why. Yeah, who would go into a casino and put your pension funds on red? So much of the market now depends on computer programs and mathematical models that no one fully understands. So much of the trading is in the hands of a few people whose fat thumbs or monetary carelessness might sink the economy. So much of global wealth now depends on who can move their money quickest at the slightest provocation. We are toying with financial disaster every day. The luck or foolishness of a few traders and inside knowledge and information that some possess and others don't, combined with the ultra-high-speed computers, put us all at the whim of a system whose risk is way out of proportion to any public benefits. Bob Reich is right on. We are handing over our hard-earned pension funds, bonds, taxes, whatever it may be that we that, that is squeezed out of us or, or taken away with our consent in order to protect us in our old age is being run into this casino where a bunch of, you know, a bunch of young Turks are betting, are betting against us, basically. We are known, by the way, as weak hands on Wall Street because we don't have any real inside knowledge. The whole thing is corrupt. The whole thing has to be thoroughly reformulated. We've got to go back to the Glass-Steagall Act, which doesn't allow banks to become investment houses. That's nice. I go down to the Mr. Brown at the bank, give him my $10, and he takes it and puts it in a derivative, um, you know, uh, anti-bet-on-credit-swap, toxic, whatever. 
and I'm dead. You know, I go there the next day, well, Mr. Brown, where's my $5? Well, I'm sorry, but the credit swaps went south, and uh, you're toxic, Billy. So we've got to bring some serious common sense back to these markets. This is the populism. This, I believe, is the real teabag revolt. I don't think those bozos on the far right know anything about it, but that kind of populist swell, I believe, is going to bring this kind of needed regulation um, into existence. Fifty billion dollar babies You send them off to war Well that's the price of freedom, baby We gotta sell the score With talk as cheap as a paper flag Fear is always free The world is watching America While America is watching the TV Friends like these, who needs pallbearers at your funeral? Okay. Okay. A Chinese man has died after an eel was inserted in his rectum by friends as a joke. Okay. No sound effects. No, no. Please. A little reverence here. Yeah. The man's dead. Doctors in Sichuan, China, apparently found the creature, a two-foot-long Asian swamp eel, Mm. in the 59-year-old man's rectum. After the poor man had died from internal bleeding, the eel had reportedly done severe damage to the man's intestines. While doctors were initially baffled as to how the eel could have gotten there, the man's friends allegedly confessed that they had inserted the live creature as a joke after a bout of heavy drinking. Heavy drinking? (laughs) I'd say really heavy. Oh, look, I found a two-foot eel. I'll put it up his rectum. Big joke. Big joke. Well, I won't even, I mean, it's like, how do you do that? 
Uh, I don't know. It's just I thought I'd mention it because yeah. it was a wild and wonderful world. I, I don't know if it was an electric eel. But electricity got a Pakistan man in trouble. I love this one, too, because, you know. <laughs> they plugged this, it in. Yeah. That, was, that made sense about it. I see. Probably got the yeah, eel out, it. probably. You plugged it in and zip. There you go. All right. The Pac- okay, here's, yeah. here's another one. It's okay. just, you know, of, the world, of the world. All right, right. Pakistani airport authorities detained a passenger after electrical circuits and batteries were found in, in, the, shoes of his, in, in, in the soles of his tennis shoes. Okay. An initial investigation showed that the device was used for massaging the feet, but the circuits could have had other uses, and authorities were continuing to examine them. This guy, Mohammed, uh, all we know is his first name, is a building constructor headed to Muscat, Oman, told the investigators he bought the shoes from a market in Karachi and had no idea that there were circuits inside the soles. (laughs) (laughs) He had no idea, right? I I just get them to massage my feet. And, and, you know, it's like... how, how do they do that? I thought for, you know, that it would allow you to maybe count on your toes without taking your shoes off, you know, something like that. But maybe it was one of those little electrical stim. I don't uh, know. I'm not going to buy shoes, you know, with elect with electrical stimulators. Well, I'm not going to wear them on a plane. Yeah, because remember the shoe bomber, the guy that was there lighting his his Nikes, you know, to blow the place up. It's a wonderful world. Yeah, can you imagine sitting next door to that guy and the other guy who set fire to his underwear? You know, yeah. I mean. People do. I, it's it's actually tragic. There's just there seems to be no end uh, of willingness to just kill a whole lot of people uh, and yourself at uh, the same time. At the same time, and it's. I'm sorry, guys. It's just unforgivable. We could sit down and talk about it, you know. Yeah, but then. But I don't think you're going to. Uh, well, if you try to sit down and talk with them, of course they would blow you blow up. you up or put a. Eel in your Up your rectum. Rectum. Same thing. Yeah. Hey, just because you're out drinking with your friends on the stoop doesn't mean you have to be one. Step up to the many tastes of Vino Brothers wine. There's Vino White. It's dry. Add water. It's wet. Add sugar. It's a fine sherry. Add ketchup and blow in the bottle. It's a sparkling rosé. Vino Brothers. W-I-N-O-B-R-O-S. Look for the bottle shaped like a paper bag. On the phone with Scott Wild, Oz's uh, social media guru. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hey, how's everything out there in Bismarck, North Dakota? You know, it is actually uh, less windy than the last time we talked with you, but uh, still, still, you know, we're still kind of waiting for spring and summer to show up. So, well, spring has come in with a vengeance here on Whidbey Island, so maybe I'll ship you some. Anyway, in the la- <laughs> in the last three great Scott segments, we talked about what social media is because it is kind of a brand new creature, and it, it has to be described. Maybe this time you can tell us what social media isn't. Sure, um, you know. This is a really important thing because a lot of people think, you know, that, okay, I've got to get on this wave and I've got to get all these uh, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube installed. And, you know, it is important to understand what it, it is not. And that the first thing I tell people is it's not a silver bullet fix. You know, it's not something that you just install and voila, you've got instant traffic and instant business. Um, really what it is is social media is an extension of your current relationship building skills Uh you know i always say that it's perfect for pulling out all of the great things about your business if you are a natural people person or if you if it's inherent that you or if it's evident that you truly care about people Mm-hmm. That will come out in your social media because you know how to interact with them. It just makes it more convenient. You can do it while you're standing in line waiting at the grocery store for 10 minutes. You know, I, it just makes it more convenient to get in touch with these people and ask them questions and, and you know, give them attention as we talked about before. It doesn't, but, make, it doesn't make you by, by, by itself a better communicator. It is only a vessel, right? I mean, it, 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 100%. Yeah. And, and one of the things that it'll also do is it also tends to bring out some of the flaws in your business as well. So if you're not a great communicator yeah. uh, or if you're not on top of it, that tends to come out. Um, it also gives people a chance to kind of nitpick some of the maybe the, the flaws in your business a little bit. They, they can see some of the uh, flies in the ointment, you know, to use an analogy, I guess. Um, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because nobody has a perfect business. And we all have we all have customer service issues. I think that social media is a great way for people to um, respond 
to some of these issues versus react? Yeah, you know, you, in one of our earlier uh, segments, we talked about the fact that you actually have the opportunity for immediate feedback. You know, before social media, for people to let you know that they had a problem, well, maybe you had a customer service, you had one of those lines where you end up getting somebody in India to talk about the fact that your computer just caught on fire. But in this case, you, you actually you have people that can warm and close in a sense, you know, even though it's cold web, they're, they're, they're close to, to what they get from you and they're willing to give back their take on it very quickly. Absolutely. There's a lot of companies like uh, Hewlett Packard and Best Buy and Comcast and, uh, you know, Zappos. They, they all have set up uh, help desks on Twitter. And if you Twitter about their tweet about their products, you know, you get almost immediate feedback really? uh, from someone. Oh, absolutely. And that um, there was, uh, I'm trying to think of the gentleman's name. The, the name of the blog was Managing the Gray. And, um, It'll come to me in a minute, but his name escapes me. Regardless, he's he's talking about his Comcast TV, and he's really upset. And he says, you know, for for all, you know, basically he says, you know, I hate my Comcast TV. The picture's terrible. And he posts this on Twitter. And all of a sudden, you know, a couple minutes later, he gets this response back from a customer service rep that says, um, how can we get a hold of you? We'd like to get a hold of you and, and the customer service rep. Well, lo and behold, you know, within a matter of minutes, he's on the phone with someone. The next day, they send out a representative to his house, and, you know, they, they're setting up the HDMI fix, you know, the, the menu settings, and all of a sudden, he had it set up wrong. And then he, so they push a few buttons. And all of a sudden, he's got the clearest picture on the planet. Yeah, Next the, post on Twitter is, I absolutely love my Comcast TV. Of course, there's still nothing good on TV, but at least the picture of the rotten <laughs> stuff is there. You know, this this is really true. I, I did a story a while ago about the fact that Archer Daniel Midlands, who turns out a, a lot of corn syrup is really in a has a real problem because social media is attacking the quality and the the and the empty calorie character of of corn syrup and it's brought down their sales by 10% already it was twitter and facebook and youtube that gave people an opportunity to not only respond to make but to make serious fun of them so it's powerful yeah. stuff yep C.C. Chapman was the guy. That, that's the, the person that was in. You're exactly right. I mean, you know, people can respond, and that's part of the dialogue. I mean, you can put your ear to the ground, and you can get some amazing feedback from people. And, you know, like, like it or not, Peter, people are talking about your business behind your back. Right. I would much rather have them talking in my backyard where I could respond versus react. Because I always tell people, you can respond or react. Only one requires thought. That's right. Well, thank you, Scott. This is great. Another, another great Scott segment. We'll have more coming up. Uh, look forward to talking with you. Okay? Thank you. Okay, bye. Once upon a time, and I guess we're talking about the good old days here, the CIA had to know a militant's name before putting him up for a robotic targeted killing. Now if the guy acts like a gorilla, it's enough to call in a drone strike. This is indeed part of the horror that we are bringing to the world. We used to have to know the poor bozo's name before we drilled him from, you know, from above. Now if he's acting like a gorilla, Come on! It's another sign of that once-limited, once-covert program to off-senior terrorist leaders has morphed into a full-scale, if undeclared, war in Pakistan. So we're at war with Pakistan. Now there's good news. And in a war, you don't need to know the name of someone on the other side before you take a shot. Yesterday, U.S. drone aircraft, for example, killed at least 24 suspected militants in two attacks in Pakistan's north, Waziristan. Waziristan, <laughs> I just can't stand it. It was the fourth drone missile strike on militants in northwest Pakistan, bordering Afghanistan, since a failed bid to set off a car bomb in New York's Times Square on May 1st. So they're definitely, they're, they're saying now, oh, we're sure, and the Taliban sent him over here to set off the bomb, so we're just going to go kill everybody that looks like a militant. The United States is convinced of course, that uh, Taliban militants allied with al-Qaeda and operating out of northwestern border regions like Waziristan was behind the attempted New York bombing. So, in the first of, of yesterday's two drone attacks, this was on Monday, more than 12 missiles were fired in Dakahel village, about 20 miles west of Maransha, north Waziristan. Oh, this is north Waziristan. I wonder if that's like the nice side, if that's on the right side of the tracks or the right side of the drone. 
Quote, three missiles hit a vehicle and three militants sitting in it were killed, said an intelligence agency official in the region who declined to be identified. Because if they got his name, they might shoot him too. The drones then fired a barrage of missiles at a nearby militant compound, killing at least 11 more, according to a second security official. Militant compound. Okay, but. Things are bad in Pakistan. You look up, you know, you give the sky the finger, you're a militant, you're dead. But across the board in Afghanistan, where we're kind of officially at war, the rules for launching an airstrike have become tighter than a bald fist. Dropping a bomb from above is now a tactic of last resort. Even when U.S. troops are under fire, commanders are reluctant to authorize airstrikes even under those conditions. That's because they've been getting a lot of bad press for all the innocent women and children that we've been killing. In Pakistan, however, the opposite has happened. Starting in the latter days of the Bush administration and accelerating under the Obama presidency, drone pilots have become more and more free to launch their weapons. Drone pilots. I'm told that they are sitting in refrigerated rooms in Las Vegas doing the killing. I mean, totally frightening, you know. After a little gambling, a little liquor, a little prostitutes, let's go in and kill people who act like gorillas. Uh, Orwell could not have dreamed this up. Quote, we've had an expanded target set for some time now. I I love military talk. Expanded target set. More people looking or acting or smelling like gorillas are getting fried from these drones. Uh, So we have an expanded target set now. Given the danger these groups pose and their relative inaccessibilities, these kind of strikes, precise and effective, have become almost like the cannon fire of this war. They're no longer extraordinary or even unusual, admitted one American official. Yeah, the thing about cannon fire also is it takes out anybody it hits. You know, in the Civil War, you didn't know the other guy's name either, but at least you could see each other as you plowed each other under. This is war at a distance. It's like John McCain at 50,000 feet carpet-bombing people he never met. Of course, he actually did get to meet a couple of them uh, unexpectedly. It just proves you don't want to go to war in a country where nobody wears uniforms. Yeah, they're all dressed alike, but they're not uniforms. They're just people, right? He looks like a gorilla. He's acting like a militant. Uh, that's tough. I mean, okay, guy's got a rocket launcher and he's taking people out. The guy's, you know, like in the cartoons, plunging one of those things to, to, to set off the dynamite. You know what I mean? Someone's got people lined up and he's got an, an AK-15 or whatever that is. Yeah, all right. That's kind of like acting like a militant, but sitting in a Jeep, you know, or well, coming out of the John. Yeah, but here, this guy, so the guys are in where? They're in Arizona, right? So they're looking at their monitors, and here's thousands, hundreds of thousands of miles away, universe away, is this little drone flying over over With all these hellfire missiles. See, it is a Christian crusade, if you think of the fact that we're bringing hellfire to the jihad. Jeez, Pete, don't make it any worse than it is by pointing out the the ironies, you know. You gotta let, you know, I wonder if there's a strong... Uh, jihadist feeling for irony. You suppose that's part of their... All the um, women do the ironing. No, oh. the, the, men, the men don't. Okay, so you yeah. want me? You want to have an irony-free moment for a second? <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Let's try it. Yeah, let's, well, that's over. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough, man. It, it, you know, it's, it's our last war. There's nowhere else to go. Well, there's the country next door. Uh, didn't, didn't, we have, didn't we have a great uh, a general who was going to solve this whole thing? I thought we were going to be out in 20 minutes. Oh, yes. The sound of McChrystal breaking. <laughs> Uh-oh, it's happening again. How quickly our heroes fall. Remember how Stanley McChrystal was like, he's the man of the hour. He's the man that's going to make it happen in Afghanistan. Okay, well, things aren't going that well. Although General Stanley A. McChrystal's plan for wresting the Afghan provinces of Helmand and Kandahar from the Taliban is still in its early stages of implementation, There are already signs that setbacks and obstacles it has encountered have raised serious doubts among top military officials in Washington about whether the plan is going to work. Skepticism about McChrystal's ambitious aims was implicit in the way the Pentagon's recent report on the war assessed the progress of the campaign in Marja. Now it has been given even more pointed expression by an unnamed senior military official quoted in a column in the Washington Post. You mean senior military rat think, don't you? But nonetheless, let's quote him. 
The senior military officer criticized McChrystal's announcement in February that he had a, quote, a government and a box ready to roll in for the Marja campaign for having created an expectation of rapidity and efficiency that doesn't exist now, according to this unnamed rat fink. He had a government and a box ready to roll in. I mean, alarm bells must have gone off somewhere. Obama's got an intelligent West Wing. When, when somebody comes up and says, I've got a government in a box, you got to think this guy is like going crazy or living off of ad speak. A government in a box. Yeah, they're in a box. They're in a bunch of boxes. They're all dead because the Taliban has killed them for collaborating. The same military official, the same decorated rat fink, is also quoted as pointing out that parts of Helmand that were supposed to have been cleared by the offensive, right? Well, uh, back in February and March are still, in fact, under Taliban control, and that Afghan government performance in the wake of the offensive had been disappointing. Every time we hear the word Afghan or Afghan troops or Afghan police, not long after it comes the word disappointing or inefficient or lackadaisical or non-existent. Of course, the Taliban still control it. They live there. The section of the Pentagon report on the state of the insurgency goes even further toward declaring that the McChrystal plan had failed to achieve a central objective, concluding that the Taliban strategy for countering the offensive has proven effective in slowing the spread of governance and development. Ah, oh, well... The key finding is that the Taliban have re-infiltrated the cleared areas of Helmand and dissuaded locals from meeting with the Afghan government by executing some who had initially collaborated. That would stop me if I saw my cousin or somebody's cousin or dad getting beheaded or headshot by the Taliban because he was collaborating, I'd think twice. The only feature of McChrystal's strategy, which the Pentagon report treats as having proven effective against the insurgents, is its most controversial element, the program of Special Operations Forces night raids against suspected Taliban in their homes, which have stirred anger among Afghans everywhere that these Special Operations Forces have operated, angered them, and turned them into Taliban! Well, um... Shall we move on to the weekly cereal? Oh, people are oh, waiting, sure. man. Oh, sure. This no, kills also. Waiting. This is a cereal killer. It's more exciting than the big brother, you know? Okay, stand by. <laughs> Here it comes. Portabakey International Pictures presents The Fuse of Doom, a new Frank Acme serial thriller, part two The Curse of Cobra Valley. As we departed our last mesmerizing episode, the mysterious electrician had struck at the overtly furnished home of Jonas Acme, industrial giant, paralyzing Dr. Archetype and stealing his most valuable invention, the Zeppelin Tube, a great tool for good or evil. We'd rejoin our story as publisher Charles Foster Dudley says... Archetype! Archetype! Look at that glassy stare in his mouth. This is terrible, Dudley. My my tube's been purloined. See here, Acme. Here? I don't see No, over squat. there. Oh, over there. there, the professor's got a fuse in his mouth. Ooh. A blown fuse. Oh, I, I parked the uh, I parked the plane on the boat, Dad. Is the party still going on? Oh, hey, what, what happened to Dr. Archetype? Frank, uh... I don't think you've ever met my old friend and newspaper magnet, Charles Dudley. Oh, it's an honor, sir. No, it's a pity. Oh, that too. No, it's a pity we have to meet at a time like this, Frank. Oh, sorry. Time is of the essence, Dud. Don't ever forget that. You too, Frank. All right. Okay, uh, I forgot it because I forgot to take my ginkgo martini oh. here all around, nice and dry. Oh. Not too dry, and there's no time left like the present. We've got to get archetype functioning again. Mm -hmm. We've got to find the two. I say, Frank, do you happen to have a spare fuse? Well, well, sir, a pilot like me needs one of everything. Sure, here. It may be too late. Mm -hmm. Wait, 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 wait. He's coming around. He's coming around again. Whoa. Professor, professor, speak to me. Tell me, the fiend who stole the Zeppelin tube, who was he? What does he want? Uh, sir, excuse me, but he, he can't act with that fuse in his mouth. Superb thinking, son. Thank you. Here, I'll twist it out, like I did last summer. Now. I remember the, tell, uh, the astonishing face. It was, it was, quickly, it turned quickly. out, it was, you'll never believe this. 
he's run out of juice, Dad. Never my problem. We've got to think of something. What? Let's put our heads together. Right. Oh! Ow. Ow. I've got it! I've, it worked! Painful sound effect. I, I'm going to call my friend Inspector Fang of Oriental Intelligence. What are you going to call him? Jim. No, you mustn't. Why not? Well, I never thought of it that way, Dud. Mm, neither did I. But you're right, of course. Now, I don't know what you guys yeah, are talking right. about. You fight it out between yourselves. Okay, I, I'm, oh. I'm going to wheel Dr. Oh. Archetype into the solarium and try to rewire him, Dad. Okay, Dud. Well. Only Archetype knows who fried his wig. Great. We must act surreptitiously, but... With utmost secrecy. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Neither do I, but that's good words. Let's discuss our strategy over a quick Jeroboam ah. of champagne. Nippon, Nippon Cadet. Hot six. six. Very good. I'll drink to that. Uh, you'll drink. Oh! oh, you'll drink to anything, you messy old man. You know, looking up at me, I... Don't look up at oh, me. Oh, no, no. I've looked up at me and I get nothing on Google. <laughs> Look at that charming ceiling. It seems to be so close. I don't believe I've ever noticed that fresco it's before. It's an original fettuccine, so flat, so thin. I should have recognized the fabulous fettuccine perspective. Which was that? Oh, you feel as if your nose is right inside the central figure of the tableau. Ah, his painstaking concern for minute detail is truly oppressive. Every hair. Oh, who is she? Oh, my God, Dudley, the ceiling is moving down on us. I don't think so. It's the floor. It's moving up. Oh, it's oh. just a matter of perspective. We're Stay tuned. Next fire time, same fire station for Care of the Cow Brings Good Fortune. The next overpowering episode of The Fuse of Doom. Oil and war, David. I'm so glad that we're able to give that nice kind of ironic ha-ha side what's happening in the world. Just that one moment of non-ironic time that we spent was, you know... It was pretty stale. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it had a smell to it. I yeah. felt as out of the closet, you know, just wasn't, just wasn't as fresh as it might be. Rent boy. Rent boy. Rent boy. You know? I, I, it blows my mind, you know, uh, the guy in, in, in the toilet spreading his legs, who's the, what, Larry Craig? Was that his name? It's such, it's such a weird... <laughs> It's so weird out there, man. Who cares, you know? I mean, it Who makes cares? it makes the eel up the butt look look fairly mundane. Yeah, and I said it's you know it's kind of average Chinese. I mean, it's not even a sexual practice. No, just something you do when you're stupid really drunk. drunk. <laughs> well, that's it. We we've drunk our fill here on oh, Oz today. Boy, You've I'm... had Oz in your ears. Uh, I'm your host, Peter Bergman. My co-host is David Osmond. John Cumming makes the ones and zeros happen. Phil Fountain's the head of the Oz Design Group. My, how pretty the site is. RadioFreeOz.com. Go up and take a look. Tom Goodwillow is our webmaster. Dave Maloney is our superb audio engineer. A lot of people have been saying how good this podcast sounds. It's because of Dave. Bill McIntyre is our producer. And Scott Wilde is our media guru. We spoke with him today, and we'll be speaking with him on a regular basis. Say, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say goodbye. I'm gonna join Lloyd Bridges, and I know that he can solve the entire oil problem at the bottom of the sea. I just have to watch another episode. That's all you gotta do.